is a podcast brought to you by Alexander Daniels Global, your recruitment partner in the additive manufacturing industry. My name is Julia Opria, and I'm your host in this podcast. I'm also the director of Europe at AD Global. We are committed to helping this industry grow, and our contribution to the industry is talent. We talk to high potential professionals on a daily basis, and with this podcast, we want to bring to you their stories, their challenges, and their approach to unknown territories. We hope you enjoy. So welcome to 3D People, The Way We Work, a podcast created for Alexander Daniels Global. My name is Julia Opria, and I'm going to be the moderator for today's panel discussion with my wonderful guests and partners in a very interesting campaign. Before we start with a round of introduction, I'd like to talk briefly about this panel discussion and also why we all came together. Yannick Itanen, Alexander Daniels Global and the Barnes Global Advisors, we all have something in common. We want to advance 3D printing and we're doing this in different ways. Yannick is creatively advancing 3D printing as a pioneer in the industry. John Barnes and his team are here to help industrialize additive manufacturing. And Alexander Daniels Global, where I also work, uh, is contributing to the growth of this industry through talent and HR consulting. So we partnered up for promoting the salary survey um, on the employer side. So what is the salary survey? It's the most comprehensive salary study in the 3D printing industry, and it provides the benchmark for salary packages in this industry. The results provided from both the employer and the employee side show key insights into additive manufacturing specific trends, into salaries, into hiring intentions, candidate motivations, in-demand skills, what attracts talented professionals and much more. The salary survey helps the companies to understand their talent motivations and to set the right remuneration packages to attract and to retain the best talent. The study helps the professionals on the other side to understand where they are in the talent market. This year, we will release the fifth edition of the salary survey, and we would like to invite you, a representative of a 3D printing business, to fill out the survey and to contribute to the study. Our campaign has three big prizes, and today we will want to introduce to you the team which offers the first prize if you participate in the salary survey campaign. One lucky winner from the employer side will get a unique consultation package. More details will follow towards the end of this podcast episode. Uh, and now I'd like to invite my guests to introduce themselves. Great, thank you. My name is John Barnes. I'm with the Barnes Global Advisors. Um, we <clears throat> solve problems for companies. So we, we say we try to help industrialize additive manufacturing. Uh, we have an experienced team uh, with over 130 years of experience in additive manufacturing, but probably more like 250 years of experience in just average everyday manufacturing. So uh, we try to bring that experience to bear uh, to get additive into products. And so with uh, what we say is we bring, I think, clarity and insights uh, to the people that we work with as they try to understand, you know, a fast moving kind of chaotic space like additive manufacturing. Um, we try to help them figure out how to drive that to product 
in, a, in an efficient, cost-effective manner. And as we always say, we're that interface between the science and, and industry. So we try to make sense of the science and put it in an industrial context for uh, companies that are willing to go down this innovative path. And you know, with that comes the, uh, we have a, a four lens view, machines, materials, uh, digital, and people. And on the people part, it's always overlooked. It's always ignored. But if you buy this, we all buy the same machines, we all buy the same materials, and we all buy the same software products. It's, you know, the humans are the integrators of that. So um, how you get the awareness to education and to performing, you know, then becomes critically important. And really, it's the difference between taking a long time to get there or taking a short time to get there. So it's it's a little bit of a product development view uh, from our perspective. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I got into the business back in the late 90s. Uh, as I always joke, I was the least valuable engineer uh, at, uh, at the jet engine company that I work for and got put on a project uh, on some scientists that were leaving Sandia National Labs. And uh, that was my first exposure to it. And I've kind of been in and around it for 25 plus years. So I just, I just like it. I think I got lucky <laughs> and uh, it just kept coming back to me. So I left my corporate job about three and a half years ago and, and formed my own business to help support the maturation. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yannick, over to you. Over to me. So hi, everybody. My name is Yannick Itanen and, and I've also been, I don't have... 200 years of experience uh, like John has, but I'm kind of in the 20, 20 plus. Uh, and I'm the Transylvanian here. That's, that's perhaps perhaps right. Uh, uh, so also long history in the industry and I, I really got bitten by the buck uh, somewhere in the, in the mid, uh, mid 90s. Uh, had a long history already in the you know 3D graphics and 3D modeling and product design uh, only at the time. And I, I kind of found out these technologies and it, it was kind of this light bulb moment for me like, oh wow, so I could just make these 3D files and make any product and feed it to this printer all around the world. And so I kind of, you know, had this uh, flash light bulb uh, moment going through my brain and like, and I kind of immediately saw how the world was going to evolve with these technologies, with these uh, 3D, 3D tools. And, and ironically, Napster was coming into the market pretty much at the same time. I'm like, oh, wait, so if they can do that in music, they can digitize music distribution. We should be able to do that in the same way uh, with, with, with products. And I've never, you know, looked back since, you know, so I, and also from a kind of from a, a comfort perspective, I preferred much more to sit on my ass on a couch and make 3D files rather than go to a workshop and start bending metal and cutting and uh, cutting wood, you know, so, so, um, and then of course, from, from there onwards, I mean, I was so passionate about the whole industry and the processes that I started designing all different kinds of products for different industries from lighting to interior products to eyewear to footwear to all kinds of you know i've, I've taught so many different industries uh, uh, on, on my path and and of course my my passion has has more been about helping people and helping companies and helping industries to to digitize so i'm, I'm pretty much still on that path but of course now a little bit looking at it from a from a bit of a bigger and broader perspective at the time imagine you're 20 years old you can you you're very passionate about pulling points on a computer and designing a shoe or designing a lamp or so forth. And now my interest is more about, okay, how do we design an entire industry? How do we design systems? And it's far more complex from 
supply chains to politics to inventory management to logistics to design to software platforms all these kind of things so so what really drives us to to help companies digitize themselves but also not looking at the world from a from a very linear perspective as in like i see a lot of our great consultants in the 3d printing industry but they're more about like okay how do you run a machine how do you uh, you know what kind of material should i use or you know what kind of software should i use so we're more about really trying to uh, look at the very, very big picture. How, do you, how, how are you able to change a specific industry by using these tools? So for me, the creativity has moved away from designing that simple product, but I didn't like how to design an entire big, uh, big picture for, you know, whether it's a medical field as, as a whole or aerospace or automotive or, or, or one technology that we're very, very busy with today is, is a packaging industry. So how to digitize an entire packaging industry yeah, 3D printing and what those end applications would be and, and who do they create the most value for. So within this context, we're creating value networks around all these different companies. You know, there might be a software company coming into play where we can create value for a packing company, a consumer brand company, and so forth. You know, so so it's it's really about for me doing this full loop of uh, 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 you know creating these kinds of concepts that we're able to creatively add value for everybody in the in the value network. Thanks. Okay, I think my turn maybe. So, uh, yeah, I'm Nick Pierce. I'm the founder of Alexander Daniels Global. Um, yeah, I'm going to just reverse up the, the, the order a little bit and perhaps start with why I got into the industry. So, um, I'm a recruitment entrepreneur by background. Set my first recruitment business up 10 years ago, recruited accountants because that's what I knew what to do. And then um, about six years ago, I saw how additive manufacturing was really changing people's lives as it was applied to medical applications. I thought, wow, this technology is unbelievable and its impact on, you know, people is really, you know, quite profound. So, you know, I spent some time researching the industry and, um, yeah, after about nine months, I'd kind of somewhat started a company in additive manufacturing recruitment. And um, yeah, made it our mission at Alexander Daniels Global to enable the revolution in additive manufacturing through talent. So really the problem that we solve for companies and the value that we bring to our clients is people. Um, you know, when I first did that research six years ago, you know, we found out about the challenges the technology faced, speed, repeatability, availability and price of materials. But every company we spoke to said there was a real lack of talent in the industry that really was constraining its growth. So um, we set about, you know, helping to overcome those problems by um, engaging with talent to access careers in the industry. So now what we do is we help companies right across the value chain, whether you're a 3D printer manufacturer, a software company, um, an adopter of the technology, um, or a material developer, you know, we help you recruit the team that you need to be successful um, within the industry. Um, so, yeah, in short synopsis, that's uh, that's us. So this is this is this is us who came together to do something cool. Um, I thought uh, it would be great to dive deeper a bit into into the topics, and uh, maybe you guys can explain a bit through. Um, something that you've worked on recently, uh, what exactly is that you're doing and how you're bringing these, this value um, to your clients. John, would you like to start? 
Sure. So I think the one thing that may, when we deal with uh, businesses is they, they have difficulty with the fact that additive is, is a disruptive technology. And so there's this kind of proposition that you're either all in or you're kind of always fighting it. Um, in an engineering context, I always talk, talk about it as a friction hill. So, you know, you kind of climb up the friction part and at some point it gets easier, but you have to kind of fight the resistance for a little while. And I think that a lot of companies, uh, get stuck on the hill and never get over the side. So uh, just yesterday I was participating in the FAA EASA um, series and uh, SpaceX, you know, gave a presentation mm -hmm. and it was a fantastic presentation. And it started in a way that uh, is very common. You know, it, it, they mentioned that they were basically at a point of desperation and they decided to use additive <laughs> and then once they did, they were like, this isn't nearly as bad as the technology we were using before. And, and then phew, off they went. So they overcame, they went up, fought that friction hill, and then all of a sudden an opportunity arose, and then they never looked back. So I think that's, that's, that's the challenging part for companies. And in a sense, this is in a little bit of the dialogue that Jan and I have been having, because he's more on, I would say, on the creative people side than, than I am. But we, I think where we kind of come together is on that people kind of corporation, corporate psychology piece, which is how do you get these things which are very multidisciplinary, you know, into um, a, maybe it's a company that's been around for 200 years. So they've, you know, kind of, they are who they are, uh, mm -hmm. but yet they want to be able to access this technology and they're not going to reinvent the company just so that they can use a manufacturing technology. So, um, as an example to this, we have a very good relationship with uh, NASA Jet Propulsion Labs. And, and so they are having this absorption problem. Uh, they, you know, have been successful in using additive. They've got parts going to Mars uh, that, are, that have been made in additive manufacturing. But um, they kind of see that their absorption is kind of limited due to the way that they're organized. And, and so it's interesting. It kind of falls back to, like, these are the smartest people at least in North America, maybe, but, um, you know, they recognize where their limitation is and it's more on the absorption side. How are they going to get it into more people's hands so that they can figure out how to look at things? And so they, the way that they kind of view the world is they take a concept and then they break it down into smaller bits. And the problem is, is that additive doesn't come into the equation until they're already smaller bits. Mm -hmm. That's not a very productive place for additive to exist. So they need to come back to more of the con uh, conceptual side. Okay, well, the conceptual side is now a very risky place <laughs> to be proposing something, you know, that doesn't have a lot of experience. So we, we kind of work with them uh, on how to think about that problem specifically. Uh, we've had some success. We did a, a training program with them back in January, and, and out of that, they had four funded projects emanate out of it. So... I'm not saying that they're all going into space, but they all have a chance now of going into space, whereas before they were just fleeting concepts. Mm -hmm. And were you doing these trainings online or on site? This was in January, right? This was in January, yeah. so we were on site. We were on site uh, mm -hmm. before before the world changed, um, and uh, so we we've since then done some things with them uh, online. You know, in four hour kind of. Uh, Zoom, WebEx, you know, styles, mm -hmm. and, and it's been focused more at trying to hit the people component, talking to decision makers and program managers to get them to comprehend why they should even care about any of this. And, and, and so 
there, there's that way of absorbing the situation. Uh, we, we also offer the, the Purdue, uh, we're the creators of the Purdue AM certificate, which is 100% online, you know, move at your own pace. And that kind of solves a different problem. It's, it's more for individuals that have a desire to credential themselves and, and move forward. And then, you know, recently we, we do have a, um, a very longstanding relationship with Baker Hughes and uh, they're, the comp they're a good example of a company that overcame the friction hill. Uh, they, they, they took a very traditional path. You know, there was the evangelist. He gathered some people. I always remember that YouTube video, you know, the first follower, you know, creates a group. <laughs> so they crazy guy dancing. Yeah. So, so they'd overcome that part. They had, you know, the center of excellence of about a dozen people. And then they looked, then they looked back on their organization. They said, uh, we've got 10,000 engineers in this organization, you know, 12 people divided by 10,000, you know, that's going to take a long time. So they, they kind of brought us in to kind of give that thing some structure. So you need a certain level of people that have awareness of what additive is. You, you have people who are experts and then you have like, super experts, you know, the ninjas of additive. And so you don't need those things in equivalent numbers. You, you kind of taper as you go up the, the pyramid. So we, we, with them though, you know, it's fascinating. Every single time we give the training, we do a team-based assessment uh, to gather what they're learning. And the one thing I like about this technology is it, the designers are like center stage on this technology. And, and they've been kind of pushed aside for years because the, the CAD packages do more and more of their job. But with this technology, it actually requires a bit of creativity. So the designers now back in the spotlight as being enabling. And, and, and there was great, we had this one epiphany and the guy, guy raised his hand, he was like, so if I understand this correctly, what you're saying with you know, DFAM is that I don't control the cost of the equipment, I don't control the cost of the material, but I do control the cost of the part by figuring out how to make the design print quickly and with the least amount of material. And I was like, perfect, you pass, congratulations. So, you know, it's, it's great, you know, it's still great to have those kinds of uh, situations where, you know, is the way he, he, way he characterized it was perfect. And uh, I kind of paraphrase it, but um, to me, that's, you know, kind of when it starts to make it all worthwhile. I mean, getting paid is nice too, but, um, but, you know, it's nice to be involved in a business that you get both, you know, we're, we're seeing the reward by hopefully doing a good job and people pay us to come back. And, and then you get the people side uh, and you get to see this, you know, on an individual basis, there's always that kind of light bulb that goes off and they're like, oh, okay, I think I see where this is going. Mm -hmm. John, with, with the work that you do with companies, you know, do you sort of see, you know, much awareness of the technology as you sort of dig deeper? You talked about Baker Hughes there and you have to have the evangelist and you had 12. But what, what does the wider awareness look like, you know, when you kind of get deeper into the organization around the technology? Are they now recruiting bright graduates who have touched it, you know, at university, you know? What, what sort of, what, what do you see and what changes have you seen over the years around the awareness of its potential? Yeah, so I think it's, it's a little bit like additive itself. It's very tribal. You know, you have people who are, you know, let's say maybe they got involved when plastics was big. And so all of additive is plastics to them. So they, time never moved on. <laughs> you know, they're, they're still existing in that space. 
Um, what's interesting now is because the, the allure of 3D printing for young people, and they've had it in primary schools, they've had it in the middle schools, et cetera. So they're coming out with a phenomenal level of ex experiential evidence that it works. They don't necessarily understand what manufacturing is, and they don't even associate it with manufacturing. So far, that's probably a good thing uh, due to the kind of connotation with manufacturing. But, um, you know, what we see is we try to build this thing, and I'm sure Jan has seen this as well, but, you know, you've got a group of younger, ambitious people that have, like, they already appreciate what 3D printing can do for them, but they don't understand manufacturing. And then you've got this legacy workforce, myself included, which was trained on subtractive largely and is trying to forget everything that they learned on that, but maintain the critical bits that this thing has to make critical parts every day. And how does that relate to this new technology? So you kind of, you know, probably in about five or 10 years, we're going to be in a good spot, but we've kind of got these weird two populations of people with different skill sets coming into the mix. I can really res res resonate with that. I mean, because again, you know, if I if I also answer to Nick's question a little bit, it's, it's like when I got started in this in this industry, I had no manufacturing experience whatsoever. I'd never inject injection molded anything. I'd never bent any metal. I'd never seen and see nothing. It was just the only thing I knew was 3D printing, and I was programming video games. So I'm like, well, I should be able to translate my video game into this product. And you know, I'm not asking, you know, even it doesn't even come to my mind about draft angles or, you know, impossible, you know, it doesn't even, it's just an anomaly. I mean, it doesn't even, even uh, link to my brain. So it's just like, I got something on my screen and I'll make it on this machine and that's it. It's the only thing I know. So to answer that question, it's like, I think um, uh, the, the kids of today, and that's also where, where it gets very interesting to kind of mix these different disciplines, you know, uh, and bring those kinds of uh, young, young people in, into the mix because you know, they only understand the digital world and they will, like my kids, for example, you know, they will not know a world where things are not 3D printed. It's just not going to happen. It's all going to be their norm. My kids are already bored with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I, but I think part of that, you know, the, when you look at additive, it's a bit more diverse than manufacturing is broadly. Um, and, you know, when we've studied this kind of situation, I, I look at it and more, more brains uh, looking at a problem is usually better. And so, you know, you know, on the thing, so the question is, have we really, have we really gone after the legacy technologies the way that we're going after 3D printing? So, you know, we, we built things on physical constraints, you know, and, and that's understandable and it's a logical pathway for it. Um, but I'm also conscious that like, you know, in the U.S. at least, 20% of engineering degrees go to women, uh, which is up from 1% in the 60s, you know, so I always say in the height of the Cold War, we had 50% of the population engineering a, prop, a solution. <laughs> now, I don't know, there's a lot of complexity to that, but it just seems like the more that we get these more diverse brains into the solution, the better manufacturing is going to be altogether. So, you know, that's one of the reasons while we're very keen on advocating, you know, people of all backgrounds coming into additive because we, it is so sufficiently diverse in terms of technology that you don't know where the next good idea is going to come from. And, and in some cases it doesn't, as, as, as you've pointed out, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you are an expert in injection molding. It just because you wanted to make a plastic frog. Yeah. 
Yeah. John, one of the other things that you, you obviously champion and now run is the, the Purdue course. And, you know, one of the challenges that we see, you know, from a recruitment standpoint within businesses is, you know, there's always been a gap between the demand for talent and the supply of talent. And I think, you know, actually this year's salary survey might be one of the most interesting ones because those supply and demand dynamics might have changed because of the effect of COVID. But the course that you uh, champion is quite a good one for people who are perhaps looking to make that entry into the industry. Am I right? And, you know, perhaps how do you sort of see, you know, that course and others helping to kind of bring more people in and upskill at least at the entry level enough talent to meet the demand that the industry has now and going forward? Yeah, well, I'd like to think that, uh, well, we have evidence that, that shows that the people who, you know, go through the course, you know, seem to get an immediate benefit from doing it. And we had one individual who, um, you know, used the data from the course to generate a business case to bring in a, a 3D printer, the first one into the company. And then now he's in charge of it. And, and then they wanted to give him additional Six Sigma training, et cetera, so that it could be you know, incorporated into what they do. So we do see positive benefits uh, coming out, coming from it from an individual standpoint. And, and I agree there, there needs to be, I think because the technologies move so quickly that, um, you know, there, there's no sort of outline of what is the right thing to, to study. Uh, and so when you look at like, kind of include MIT and, and us with the Purdue and, and even with our on-site and a few others, you know, they, the outline of the content is very similar. And so that, that methodology seems to, seems to resonate with a certain amount of people. You know, at the end of the day, I always say, uh, you know, we have the Purdue course. I went, I went to Purdue. It's a state school. There are people who will want, you know, private school. <laughs> There's no reason why you can't have both. You know, we were dealing with one very large automotive company and, and uh, the person that we were speaking to had already taken, taken the other course and, you know, just kept saying, oh, well, they did this and they did this and they did this. And I was like, yeah, we, we do that too. We just do it a little bit differently. We think about the problem a little bit differently. And finally, the third person on the phone call said, you know, we're a big company. We can do both. They're both good. <laughs> so yeah. the, the point isn't what's the best. The point is, what works for the individual because we don't all learn the same way. I'm a very visual learner. I was rubbish at taking tests and I hated reading things. And now I'm trying to tell my daughters that they need to read things, <laughs> but uh, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit guilty of it myself, but I, uh, so we definitely see the advantage and, and, you know, you definitely, I think see the, um, it's a tight labor market in additive. I think this year has been, uh, been odd for sure, but my observation is, is that as soon as uh, some of the individuals you know, are on the street, they're not on the street for very long. Mm. So uh, I always used to, to kind of joke about it that in the early days we had the A plus students and they in some ways intuitively figured out that the machine was going wobbly or, or whatever and, and then just instinctively did stuff about it. Um, as you need the wider pool of people, you're starting to get the B students and the C students and they don't, they don't care and they don't have the intuitive sense for it. But that's where the training kicks in, which is, oh, wait, 
I've heard about this. It means that um, my laser is drifting. It's out of calibration. I need to go, you know, do something about it. Uh, and this is what it means if I don't do it. So I'd, I'd like to think that it is, it is critical. And I think the one thing that's missing in the industry is really sort of like that. We, we get companies that come to us and they just don't know what they need. Uh, and, and there's so many people that are trying to put content out there versus having a few bodies saying, this is actually, you know, the structure of what you should be trying to um, incorporate. Um, so that's, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I also resonate with, with that a lot. I mean, uh, John, what you just said in the last, last sentence, I mean, there's so many companies, they kind of, they want to do something in this space, but they don't exactly know what. We just need some of 3D, but they've got no idea how to integrate it. You know, what kind of people they should hire, what kind of talent they should find, where they find the talent, how do they put in the company and, and, and all that. So it's a little bit of a, I would say, a growing pains like any, any new uh, technology for, 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 for companies to integrate. I became curious uh, of something I read on your website, John. It was when you were talking about... Um, that, that your business wants to grow the industry safely. I was curious what, what that means for you. Well, for us, it's a couple of things. I mean, uh, some technologies do use highly pyrophoric powder. So there's, there's the, the simple element of doing that wisely. But, you know, we also know that in any industry that's in, that's moving in highly regulated uh, markets, uh, that, that a failure however you wish to define it, would set the industry back. And so, you know, principally that's what we're after, which is, um, you know, how, how do we help people do that in a way that um, their strategy makes sense? And it, and it is more of a strategy approach, which is don't try to go after the fully latticed, all up, you know, fancy gizmo thing, um, because that's what looks cool because that's also going to be high risk unless you have the knowledge and skills and all of the specifications and everything to go with it. Mm -hmm. And this is a little bit where we came up with the maturity model approach, which says, as my product requirements increase, my skills and knowledge have to kind of go with it. I can't just start running a marathon having never run a 5k. Uh, at least you can, but it may not end well for you. So that is, that's kind of what we mean by safely, which is it's partly, Choose the right parts, choose the right market, you know, to introduce mm -hmm. it and get the people with the skills uh, or skill them up accordingly to help you transcend that little stair step. Mm -hmm. And actually, if I were to comment on that, that's also where, uh, as John said before, like having the more brains you have on the table, the better, because we were totally the opposite to John. So he wants to make things, you know, safely and we'll do the complete wild west uh, scenario. You know, and then probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, you know, so you got to take some risk at certain time and at sometimes you got to be safe. And, you know, I would say 99% of the cases of the big companies, they want to be on the safe side, unless they have the venture arm that can, you know, go, go do a wild and crazy, uh, crazy things. So, um, yeah, just I think to put it out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we've evolved into this world where we see conflict as, as bad, but I mean, there's good conflict and there's bad conflict. So creative conflict is good. I will always want to go back and, and, you know, trade something on paper. Like, is there a destination on this? But, you know, Jan's approach, which is I'm just going to go do it. That has, that has space and you have to kind of allow for both to occur, I think. Um, and, 
and yeah, you know, and, and ninety percent of those things will fail. And and trust me, I'm failing every every single day. And and then magically, one out of hundred ideas actually becomes something. So. And it's so interesting that you said creative conflict. This is one of my magic phrases that I like to use. <laughs> wow! All right. And because it's so <laughs> it's so important and. I think uh, creating uh, taboos and not allowing conflict is actually what kills creativity. And we spoke about this with Yane in, uh, in the value networks. Um, and maybe we can also move over to you, Yane. You can talk more about uh, how, how you're working, what you're working on right now. Um, but it's so important that you somehow allow a free flow, but in a creative way that that creative part is the key here, not that it's and, 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 not and especially letting le letting different brains on the table. You know, it's like there's this um, I don't know something just came to my mind. I can't remember where I saw it, but you know, it's let's say if you were to design a creative uh, uh, pen pencil, whatever. You know, most likely the creative. If you were to pick three people to design a creative pencil, I would not go and do it with a pencil designer. I would go and do. A, I would pick a nurse a mother and a tattoo artist. For sure you mm -hmm. come with something totally weird and different than, than uh, an incremental improvement to the pen. Um, so, and that's kind of to, uh, to categorize a little bit how we do, you know, so how we, how we create things. It used to be that I would be very, um, uh, uh, what would I say, not, a little bit more reactive. The company, companies would come to me and go like, hey, can you help us create this or design this and, and creatively think of this process or, or whatever. And now we're, I would say 90% of the things that we're doing is more the other way around. So we, uh, we see these uh, uh, moonshot ideas and then we, we're trying to pick those right companies that it, that it fits to and just go all in and, and try to make, make reality of these things. And of course, you know, doing it in a safe way in a way that of course they, to a certain extent, the mathematics also need to make sense. But but uh, so let's say the consulting that we do is more about finding an idea, finding an industry, uh, and then going directly to them and try to, let's say, sell it or try to um, open their minds how these kind of technologies might, might change their uh, way of looking at the world. And, and many times these are very shocking ideas. And they're, you know, these, a lot of these companies are not ready. So I would say that 99% of, of the cases I fail and I'm not able to get these especially big companies that behind these ideas because they're so they're so radical but at the same time you know the you know getting older and getting a little bit more wiser i also have the excel uh, you know right next to me and go like this and guys it, it makes sense your culture might not be ready and, and and your your company might not be ready and the industry might not be ready but it does make sense and i give you one example that we've been working on for for last um, last uh, three four years uh, very very intensively and it's again one of those ideas that we came up with and, and I'm always triggered by looking at industries that have not evolved, that who have not digitized themselves. So I always see like there must be something here that, 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 that is holding them back. And what are those ideas that might uh, propel them on the next level? Either we help them to, to improve or we completely go and disrupt them. And, and thermal format packing is one of those areas that we've been busy with. And, and again, like most industries, they, uh, they incrementally improve themselves, you know, uh, uh, getting a little bit better process, better systems and better software and better this and that. But what we've done with this specific venture is that we've uh, transformed a packing industry into an injection molding industry. So imagine you have a machine that runs in a certain cycle and it creates X amount of value for, let's say, five minutes, you're able to make X amount of products. 
So what we've done with 3D printing is that we've completely transformed an entire manufacturing process uh, by let's say in five minutes you can make X amount of profit by making uh, making these pens. But what if you were, were to make uh, I don't know these products within five minutes you would be able to make thousand times more money uh, by completely rethinking how to how to use the technology, and that's where 3D printing comes in play. But it's a very very small small part of that. What I was explaining before about this entire value network, like how does that then connect to software and how does it really connect to politics and how does that you know distribution and all these all these different things. So that's why many of these things that we're working on it takes a long long time because um, it's not like you can just go to a company and they've been around for hundred years and you expect them to. I call them like, hey, here's a 3D vehicle, and with that, you're able to make you know a thousand times more money. Regardless, they'll keep on doing what they what they've been doing, but hopefully, we're able to to infiltrate their brain, you know, bit by bit, in order to start start tra transforming themselves. So, kind of that's that's what we do, you know. So, so creating these uh, moonshot ideas, going to these companies, and then trying to help them digitize. And if they if they're not open to to collaborate with us, then we'll just try to disrupt them ourselves. And, and I think a different way of looking at that, and, and we see that in the uh, in the uh, product space. So when we go in and talk to companies, we always do that five whys, you know. And so what we found is a lot of these industries are so mature that they have no real knowledge of the requirements anymore. <laughs> you know, they, loosely they know the requirements. Yeah, we need to make it cheap. We need to make it the right same way every day. But uh, I recall one company we were working with, and, and they were saying, oh, well, we need four micron powder. And I was like, oh, well, why do you need four micron powder? Well, it's a metal filter, so it's surf we need surface area. Like, okay, um, you know, can you, are all filters designed by surface area? Well, no, you do some by design. In other words, you create a tortuous path. I was like, okay, so do you need a four micron powder in that sitch? And they were like, no. I said, but what are you guys good at? They're like, well, we're good at design. And I was like, so why are you so caught up on the four micron powder? You know, That's so then ab absolutely on, on on point. It's exactly the same way. And like I'm like again, I'm just referring to our, our thermoforming uh, industry disrupting areas. Like they have their I'm like, what is your end goal? Yeah, we need to make this uh, blister pocket. Got it. What is the accuracy that you need? We need this. I'm like, okay, well we can do that with a tool that is uh, you know 500 times cheaper, and we'll do the same thing. You know, so all of a sudden their the head starts spinning around like, yeah, but, but we want to make this pocket. Like, yeah, I know, but we have a different way, different path to get to the pocket. You don't need to use your existing tools, which are 500 times more expensive and far more, far more ineffective. Going to your four, uh, four micron uh, powder, you know, so they're so caught up in their own world that sometimes people need either two things, smack in the back of the head or cold water in the face, whatever will wake them up. And I... <laughs> Shock I'm doing I'm, huh? <laughs> shock therapy. <laughs> shock therapy, yeah. I mean, and of course, you know, I'm I need also, you know, to collaborate with people who are a little bit more political and trying to get it there in, in, in the right way, you know. So that's also where the great brains that come together. And this is just my my way my my way many times wake up people and many times it also doesn't work, you know. So it's uh, maybe too much too early. And I, and I think that, you know, it's our approach to that without resorting to water or, or smacking somebody is <laughs> to continue to hammer down, what are the requirements? And so they'll say, oh, well, you know, we, we have large cast parts. And I was like, oh, okay, so the customer requires you to have large cast parts. 
well, no, they don't care how we make it. It's just, that's the cheapest way to get it. I was like, okay, so cost seems like it's a requirement. Yeah, cost is a requirement. Okay, well, you know, so why would, uh, why would we care about, you know, weight in additive? And then somebody eventually will come up with, oh, because uh, mass equals time on the printer and time equals money. Yes, okay, so we're, now we're making some progress, but it's, it's fascinating to go through these transitions, you know, with the teams because it's like, well, you know, it has to be cylindrical. I'm like, oh, okay, so the customer said that the part has to be cylindrical. Well, no, and then you find out that it was because that was the way Fred 50 years ago figured out a way to pour powder into a cylinder and that was the method of doing it. So therefore it just became sacrosanct. So the same thing can be said of, you know, the organization. And so it's like, oh, well, you have to have a stress team and you have to have a design team and you have to have a materials team and you have to have that all over that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you come in with like systems engineering. And so systems engineers are the people who try to wrangle all of those disciplines together. And you're like, okay, well, if you need a systems engineering organization, it seems like maybe having all of these tribes being separate, you know, isn't a good thing. So, you know, in my background in aerospace, we had integrated product teams. That was the rage in the 90s and the 2000s. And it was, it was good. It was a multidisciplinary team. You have a materials and process person, you have a design person, you have a stress person, you had all of the things were collected around a section of the aircraft. And, but it was, it was there to minimize um, risk and to maximize safety um, for these very complex products. And you don't need that all the time. Obviously not everything's as complex as an airplane. So one, one key takeaway from, from that is, is also, you know, and John is doing really, really a good job in it. Is, is to navigate through these companies by really asking the right questions and, and, and really kind of taking, taking them on a journey. And, you know, these are perfect examples. And most of the time people don't even internally understand to ask the, those right questions because they've been doing it for, for the last hundred years exactly in the same way. But I'm, I'm also facing a lot of times challenges with, with companies where, let's say, I come up with a solution for somebody that is a thousand times cheaper, more effective, you know, every superlative, uh, under the sun for them, but if they're if they're already successful, let's say they're doing you know 20, 30 you know percent EBITDA per year, and you know everything is all hunky dory and great, you know they're kind of getting into that comfort zone where they don't you know we don't need to innovate, we own the industry, uh, we're fine, uh, go away with your 3D tools. Yeah, and then uh, you know all the cases where <laughs> something happens and and you can say goodbye to to that approach yeah no yeah yeah you can but most most companies they're just not you know very difficult for them to listen if they've been doing it for for so long and you know people have their safe secure job for the last 30 years and they've been doing it all this time they're like mm -hmm. i'm fine i go home at three pick up my kids and uh, go in a park and i'll be fine you know so mm -hmm. well what, what yeah. i'm what i'm hearing is how clarity how important clarity is in in both areas and i know that it's also what we're working with and Nick will then tell you guys more about it um, and how these asking the right questions and getting to a point of clarity as much as possible is what then ends up helping our clients. Um, shall, we, shall we move over to Nick? Yeah, great. Well, I'm listening with, with interest to what both of you have just said and I think you know some of the challenges that you both face within the clients that you work with are you know somewhat cultural which ultimately comes down to having the right people and the right 
mindset within the organization. So, you know, as I sort of said at the outset, you know, our, our mission as a business is to enable the revolution in additive manufacturing through talent, um, you know, and, and that really starts with us, first of all, understanding a business, then understanding what the goals and objectives of that business are, and then helping to find the people that are going to be able to realize those goals and objectives. Um, probably, you know, I can do this in the same way that you have by you know, talking a little bit about the types of clients we work with and, and how we actually help them. For me, I love the technology. And, you know, one of my favorite companies that I'm working with at the moment is a novel um, photopolymer business um, based in the US. Um, I actually met these guys uh, at TCT last year. I just happened to be walking past their booth, saw a guy who I now know to be the VP of sales playing with a, an application on the booth. And I was just watching the way he was kind of like bending and twisting this kind of like part. And I was like, I've not seen anything like that. You know, I couldn't believe this was a 3D printed part, if I'm honest, you know, the way he was manipulating it. So I just bowled on over and I said, hey, what's, what's this? Um, he didn't know I was a recruiter at the time. He, you know, kind of took me for potentially a customer. So I got the full spiel on the business and on, the machine. and on the material. And uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And he showed me all these different applications and it was biocompatible. And I was like, wow. God, you know, I've not, you know, five and a half years, I've been in the industry, I've seen lots of cool stuff, this is really, really cool. So then he asked me what we do, and I said, well, you know, we, we recruit for the industry, that's what we do. And, and then we got talking about the fact they just got their Series A, and they needed to scale up their team, you know, and this is 12 months ago, and, you know, okay, things have been impacted by COVID, but We've now placed a national sales manager in the US with these guys. We've placed a global partner manager to focus on Europe and Asia, you know, and, and these are two critical hires into an organization that are going to help them scale their business on a national basis within the US and on a truly global basis throughout India and Asia. And, you know, beyond that, now we're supporting them to identify process engineers, um, you know, business development specialists within key vertical markets. So ultimately what we're doing for them and, and, and what we're helping them to do is go from a fantastic R&D led business that have created a really truly amazing material to a business that can scale on an international basis, you know, and really get that material out into market. And some of the things that they're doing in, you know, kind of footwear, for example, really are going to revolutionize industries. So, you know, I see our role as being kind of central to actually a revolution that might take place within a market like footwear, you know, and, 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 and that really, really excites me. And it really what sort of drives, you know, our business. But central to that and central to their success is those people you know being able to find the right people and you know they're quite typical of the type of company that we work with now um you know we historically worked a lot with the bigger more established businesses in the industry but you know increasingly now we're working with companies most people will never have even heard of in fact you know, one of the companies we're working with hasn't even got a name. They're a pre-revenue startup that have just developed 
a really cool composite material that is going into space. And, you know, we're helping to find them um, all manner of really crazy scientists that are going to, you know, build parts that are going onto satellites and, um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of these companies, you know, really are just starting out on their journey as well. So you, we go beyond purely helping them find talent, you know, more to helping define culture, organizational structure. And, you know, this is a little bit where, you know, perhaps in particular, if you're a small organization and you're starting out, you know, sometimes you're a creative mind, you know, who is very focused on R&D, not operationally, you know, perhaps as organized as you might be, you not, might not be commercially as astute as you need to be. And what we can do, you know, through the support that we offer is find the gaps that need to be filled in order to scale your business and, and ultimately help to industrialize the, uh, the industry. Um, so yeah, that, that, that probably goes a little bit deeper into kind of what we do and what we really love doing. And you know, alongside that is, is the sort of concept that we've developed or, or sort of developing, which is this kind of HR uh, kind of assessment or HR health check, call, call it what you will. You know, it's a means by which we can work with an organization to, you know, really understand, you know, what their current capability is right now in terms of the expertise and skills that they have within the organization. The path that they're on and where they see themselves in two, three, four, five years time and, you know, what capabilities and skills they're going to need within the organization then. And then proactively support them on that journey from, you know, uh, an idea or, you know, a small business, you know, post seed or post series A to, you know, the next unicorn in the industry, maybe. Um, and, and, and through working closely with those CEOs in understanding their business and understanding their plans and their vision, we're able to add the kind of talent uh, aspect to that and, and, and guide them, guide them on that journey. So, so yeah, ho hopefully that gives a little bit uh, more of a, a deep dive into um, what we're doing. And uh, as, a, as a part of, of our salary uh, survey campaign for which we came together in, in, in this partnership, we're all offering um, a consultation package. And I thought it would be great if we could all talk about it for a few minutes. So anyone who's listening and who would like to become the winner from the employer side will know uh, what the first prize is about and, and what is it that they can uh, gain simply by participating in this competition, filling out the salary survey and interacting us on our post with a comment or a like. Um, so I'd like to ask you all to just share with in a few words, what is it that you can offer as a part of this um, consultation package to, to as a main prize for the one, one lucky winner? Johnny, want to go first? Well, I promise I won't smack you in the back of the head and I won't throw water at you. <laughs> I, I mean in a positive, positive sense. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, my experience, what I'm good at is uh, my, my, my parents are a history major and an English major. So I'm, I'm an engineer. So for my entire life, I've had to uh, explain to smart people what something out of the engineering world means. 
So I, I'm usually very good at kind of seeking that clarity or the message that, you know, a company might need to, to talk to. So from the early stage companies, you know, it might be that kind of level of, of support uh, because what we see oftentimes is with the, the newer companies, they're still trying to understand what it is their, their value proposition even is to the market and how do they, how do they need to tell that story. To the more you know, seasoned uh, companies that are out there, it probably falls more to you know, maybe it's uh, help with uh, qualification and certification type issues or you know, into the training space and how they need to think about their organization. So, you know, probably somewhere bouncing between Nick and, and Jan, we can, we'll, we will come up with a very comprehensive picture, but I, I, my guess is that that would be kind of the areas that, that, that uh, we could help. Awesome. Nick or Jan there? I can, I can go next if you want. Yes. Um, so, Going going back to my Napster story and, and how many companies uh, sometimes need that wake up call or they don't see what's what's coming next, you know. So, what I what I can really offer um, uh, help on is most companies, you know, again they're very linear minded and they're trying to incrementally improve what they have, and they investing money in innovation, but very few invest money in in the creativity in a way that finding what if you were to spend as much time on on finding those ideas that will make you uh, um, obsolete in the future. So I will promise you that I will find you a, a concept that will make your company obsolete in the future and an area where you should be looking at. So you can, you can pick any industry and I will, I will find that concept within your, within your organization. And you also wrote a Forbes article about it. <laughs> I, I indeed did. And it's actually a very simple, uh, simple way of, of doing that and how to, how to invest your effort into into ideas that will make you and uh, make you obsolete. So I will find you that concept that will make you obsolete, and in many cases that will also then uh, become a better business model for uh, for the organization, or even you know maybe a little spin-off at least uh, for the start. But hopefully those kinds of idea ideations uh, can can kind of put a smile on your smile on your face and 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 see the world through a different kind of lens. Well, and and you know I might just say if we if if twenty twenty has a silver lining. If this isn't the year to ask the question about that question, exactly doing the right thing. I mean, it's yeah. giving you every excuse that you could imagine to say it's, it's, it's ironic, you know, because we have so many concepts that we have actually, even for ourselves, that we were like, you know what? Let's uh, uh, um, what's the word again? Where you uh, promise, you know, do what you say and reap what you promise. sow. Is it the saying? Yeah, so we've had to kind of prove it to ourselves. Like, you know, we had to disrupt ourselves. Like, we did not expect this. And i give an example. Um, so one of our ventures is, is, in, uh, is in ice cream. And, and we've had, we've been working on this for a number of years now. And this year, that's going to be a very big break for us on the concession world. You know, so we started from a very, very small, small uh, um, number so we can produce. And, you know, we've been, we've been growing and being able to prove that we can, we can um, produce certain amounts. And this year, it was all, all going to be about theme parks, zoos, aquariums, all those places where you have completely, you know, uh, event spaces packed with people. And we have concepts to, to be sold in, in those areas. We had a whole spring lined up, great business. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing here. Revenue zero. So how are you going to, uh, how are you going to, you know, lift yourself up? And that, 
forced us to then then disrupt ourselves and and find different different applications and and we're we're right in the middle of it and i will be uh, doing a lot more social posts about that in the future but but yeah living proof of that so on our side then um you know what we're going to do is this um hr health check for a business so um, this sort of comes in three parts, but, you know, the starting point is uh, an assessment that we would do with the CEO of an organization. And depending on the size of the organization, if it's a smaller growing startup and doesn't have a robust HR function or indeed any HR, which many companies we work with don't, it would predominantly be with the CEO. But if it's a larger company, for example, that wins the prize, then um, it will probably be with the CEO and, you know, an HR director or an HR manager or at least somebody from the HR team. So, you know, we would start off with a, an assessment and, you know, through a series of quite probing questions, we would, you know, understand, you know, where the business is and where the business is going. Off the back of that, we would produce a report that we would share with the business that would then give some perhaps actions that the business might take to, become, you know, better organized, be able to perform better, you know, more cost efficient in terms of how it deploys labor and talent within the organization. And, um, you know, also what its strategy might look like going forward in terms of how it grows and how it can develop a culture and a team that can be ultimately a winning team, you know, based on the objectives of the organization. So, you know, that's ultimately the prize that we offer. But, I would encourage everyone to complete the form anyway, because, you know, it, it, there's an intrinsic value to the whole industry for people to take part in this survey. You know, when we started with this survey five years ago, there was nothing of its kind. And, you know, back then, you know, we had, you know, a handful of companies we were working with that took part and, you know, probably a couple of hundred candidates who filled out the survey. And every year it grows and it grows and we get more data. And every year I get more and more feedback from companies saying, we love your report. We love the salary survey. Um, you know, even now, 10 months on, people are still downloading the 2019 salary survey from, you know, the data that we collected last year. Um, and, and, and we still get feedback that, you know, salaries aside and the information aside, it's the insights that it provides about the market that really do add value. So, you know, whether you win first prize or, you know, one of the runners up prizes, there's definitely value in, in, in actually taking part because ultimately you're contributing to something that has value for the whole industry. I think that that's probably the greater motivator that people should be taking into consideration, despite the fact that we've got these collection of brilliant minds here with Yana and John willing to offer their time to a business, um, you know, as part of the package of consultation that um, First Prize would get. I remember when, uh, when I used to work on the client side, I downloaded the salary survey because I had no clue about 3D printing and it helped me so much as a person who was responsible for recruiting in Europe. I suddenly understood a lot about what I just said before about hiring intentions and demand skills, the salaries in the US and Europe was the difference. And then after that, I picked up the conversation with Nick and his team and 
yeah, we've been working together uh, for a year and a half before I joined uh, his team. Um, but this is really where, where I got most of my information. I learned a lot and we really, really value both inputs. So it's really important. This is also why we're doing this campaign to get input from both the employer and the employee uh, side. So, uh, so that we have a really strong study this year in our fifth edition. Um, okay. So what's, uh, what's the next step is, um, is really just, if you're listening to this or watching this, um, we will provide a link to the salary survey, which you can fill out. Please interact with us somehow on, on our post with a like or a comment. Um, and uh, we will also provide more information about uh, participation terms and conditions. Um, you will have a link which describes a bit more uh, this whole campaign that we're working on here together with, with uh, Yanni and John. Um, and uh, it will end, uh, this campaign will end at the end of November. So uh, please go online, it takes just a few minutes. Uh, if you know the data uh, that we are asking about, then, uh, then fill, please fill it out. If you don't know the data, do you know someone in your company who knows the data, please redirect them to, to the salary survey. And uh, yeah, please contribute to this amazing study. Um, as a last question for all of you who are here, just looking forward, right? We have less than two months from 2020, uh, this very crazy year. <laughs> I don't know what to think about it still. Um, what do you think? Uh, how, will your, how will your future clients know when it's time to, to get in touch with you? Nick, maybe you could go first this time. Yeah, so um, I think it's really simple, you know, either you're a company that are thinking about growing or, you know, recognize there's a certain skill missing within your organization um, or you simply lose somebody <laughs> that's gone to the competition. Um, if any of those things happen, then you should talk to us. Yana? Oh, me. You. <laughs> uh, it, it always boils under creativity, you know, but, but it's um, many times companies don't realize that they're missing and uh, missing creativity. And also companies should not make the mistake of creativity being somebody sculpting some weird sculptors in the park, but it's, it's really all, all boils down to business, you know? So when you're, when you see that, that you're kind of getting stuck in your ways, always, and, and you need to find a way out um, and your business is getting stuck, that's the time you should uh, pick up the phone and or drop me an email and, and we, can, we can start a dialogue. And I think that, you know, 2020 probably, uh, I don't know that it changed the conclusion. It changed the pace at which we adopted to that conclusion. So uh, by which I mean, you know, the things that people are doing this year, they would eventually have done anyway. So I think that shock to the system caused them to reevaluate their priorities. When we talked to companies this year, they didn't change their priorities. They just focused on the really important ones. And so for us, I think, you know, when you're ready to, what, what, what we can save people is, is basically time to market and, mm. um, you know, let, in, in, in the sort of whimsical way, learn from our mistakes as we've implemented products when the technology was less mature, um, but the lessons are the same. 
And so when people are ready to, uh, you know, really invest and uh, make an investment, not only in themselves, but also in their product, you know, I think that's, that's where we come in. This episode was brought to you by Alexander Daniels Global, your talent recruitment partner in the additive manufacturing industry. My name is Julia Oprea, and I'm your host in this podcast. Follow our LinkedIn page for more episodes and job opportunities in the EM world from the US and from Europe. Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for more conversations from the 3D printing industry.